You're listening to Productive Flourishing. Thanks for joining us today. Um, I think one of the big differences now is we always are connected to a computer via a smartphone in your pocket or um, a, you know, an actual device like a laptop tablet, something like they're always within reach. And even when we're in these spaces where we're having conversations with one another, there's still that device intruding into the conversation. There's still a text message in one of those omnipresent conversations, right? There's still a notification. There's still something. And I think that's one of the big differences that I feel now, as opposed to say 25 years ago, because you used to just be able to be Mm -hmm. with people. Welcome to Productive Flourishing, where we explore how to do the work that matters so you become your best self in the world. I'm your host, Charlie Gilkey, and I'm joined by Angela Wheeler and other guests who will share their stories, insights, wins, and challenges in the hopes that our journeys and stories will help you with yours. Now, on to the show. If you ask me to name the single biggest workplace time waster, I don't even have to think about it. The answer is email. In fact, a recent study found that almost 50% of the time that managers spend tending to their inboxes is spent on emails that should have never been sent to them or that didn't really need an answer in the first place. But what if you could just press a magic button and never see those time-wasting emails again? Well, that's exactly what SaneBox does. With just a few clicks, SaneBox automatically gets your email under control and filters out the messages that don't need your focus. And you don't even have to switch email apps because it works in concert with whichever email clients you already use. It also has some nifty features like the Sane Black Hole, where you can vanquish senders you never want to hear from again, and Sane Reminders for sending email reminders to your future self. See how SaneBox can magically remove distractions from your inbox with a free two-week trial. Visit SaneBox.com giant today to start your free trial and get a $25 credit. That's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash giant. I've used and loved SaneBox for years, and I think you will too. Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us on the Productive Flourishing Podcast. This is another episode where Angela's joining me. Hi, Angela. Hi. And we're actually going to continue in some ways the conversation we had last time. So last time we talked about um, building better boundaries and how that creates more space for you to do the things that you love in your life Mm -hmm. and maybe do less of the stuff that's not feeding you. Um, And something that comes up a lot is actually the way in which technology, um, the email, the social media, the text messages actually can invade your space in a way and invade your mental and emotional space and invade your social space. And how sometimes we need to set up boundaries from that. So we're just going to keep that conversation going. Yeah, that's great. Um, I'm super pumped to talk about this today, actually. Um, This one, um, I thought it was a great tie-in for what we talked about last time with boundaries. Um, Because oftentimes, as we had mentioned, we talk about boundaries as it is in relation to other people. But this talk about technology is so much about boundaries that we set for ourselves um, and what we're going to do and not do. And so um, so that combined with a conversation that you and I had at dinner last week, um, I think it might have been last Thursday when we went out for date night, maybe? Maybe so. Um, we wound up, and I don't even know how we got there. I'm, I'm sure there's some interesting story there but we wound up having a great conversation about 
technology and the things that we were seeing ourselves with technology and how we've been using it, but also just a really cool and fun um, and I don't know how much we'll get into the provocative piece of it today, but almost a provocative conversation about how technology is amazing and wonderful, but also how we've seen it, like, this is this is a bit of an exaggeration, but like, ruin people, right? Um, and I'm not talking about in the way of like, porn addictions and things like that. However, that obviously goes along with technology and having to have boundaries and whatnot. But I just thought it was a fun conversation that we got into. And I was excited to bring it here today and maybe dive into a little bit more of it again. Yeah. yeah. And specifically what we're talking about here is communication technology. So it's not all technology, like cars have gotten better, but that's not necessarily, you know, impinging um, mm-hmm. on us in any certain way, but we're really talking about the community, the communication technology. Now to really have this conversation that we need to go back, let's see, it's 2018 now. Mm-hmm. Let's go back 25 years. Wow. Okay. 25 years. Okay. Um, I know there are folks listening to the show who were not born during that period of time. (laughs) And I know that, you know, 25 years is a third of some of our listeners' lives. And Mm -hmm. that's great. We're all over the board here. But let's go back in time to think about what it was like before text messages Mm -hmm. and smartphones and email. Because email wasn't that popular yet. Internet, the way that we know it, wasn't popular. So, just the world was different. And I don't know... Maybe it was a lead into the conversation, but I've been wondering about this. Like, um, there there is now much more um, of our bandwidth taken in communication with people, texting back and forth, and mm-hmm. it, depending upon where you are with this, between Facebook Messenger and Slack and email and text messages, mm-hmm. we're in these ongoing, omnipresent conversations with people, like yeah. from when we wake up until we go to bed. Yeah. Right. And we wake up and we start the conversation again. Yeah. Or we keep it going in different ways. And I was like, this is really strange. It feels strange when we go back to 1993. Mm -hmm. Because one, I don't think we were having those types of conversations. I don't remember Mm -mm. my my parents being on the phone in the evening that much. Like you called, it was transactional. Mm -hmm. Like, and then you hung up. Yeah. And maybe if you were talking to family members once a week or so, you know, mm-hmm. you might be on the phone for 30 minutes. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there was a different space there. And remember when you could just be gone, like out. <laughs> yeah. And people like now when people call or text you, the expectation is that you'll answer mm-hmm. or that you'll get back soon. Yeah. Where I remember with. I don't need, I don't know what we called it voicemail messages then or when you could leave a message on the cassette recorder there you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about right mm-hmm. where I don't think we had the expectation that someone would call us back like quickly yeah um I, I think we communicated and we had different expectations with each other mm-hmm. so that if someone called and left something on your phone I think it was kind of understood it might be four or five days if even they get back to you yeah. With something, right? Yeah. Um, and when they called, they didn't necessarily expect you to be there and to answer. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. There was a different sort of thing. And you could just miss folks. Yeah. And you could just be missed. Mm-hmm. But now, again, if we zoom forward to where we are now, they text and like, it's not, it doesn't seem unreasonable for a lot of folks to text you 
and expect a response back in like five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So think about that. We've gone from like five days to five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's kind of like that question, what did we do before Google Maps? What did we do before, <laughs> you know, phone books and things like that? Mm-hmm. Um, but what's really strange about this, and there's a book, I think it's called um, Together Alone, or Alone Together, one or the two. I think, we'll it's, a, sh- I think it's Alone Together. We'll put it in the show notes. But we've, we've commented on this. Even though we are in these omnipresent, um, ongoing conversations with the people in our lives all day, mm-hmm. we actually feel more disconnected from them Yeah. than when we didn't talk to them, when we didn't have this technology, so mm-hmm. and so forth. I think part of the trend there is there's a time with tech, with communication technology, and I can, we were talking about this the other day, even with things like word processing. Like, remember guys, go back 1996, 97, we used to go to the computer because we all didn't have a computer. Mm-hmm. We used to go to the computer wherever it was when we had a computer, because not all of us had computers at the time anyways. And we would do some specific task, mm-hmm. like write a paper. We'd finish said paper, print it out, turn the computer off, and go do something else. Yeah. Right? Um, or I think we were more intentional about surfing, right? Like web surfing. Like we'd go search for some given thing. Mm-hmm get the answer and go do something else. Yeah. And the reason I bring that out is because um, I think one of the big differences now is we always are connected to a um, computer via a smartphone in your pocket mm-hmm. um, or um, a, you know, an actual device like a laptop, tablet, something like they're always within reach. Mm-hmm. And, even when we're in these spaces where we're having conversations with one another, mm-hmm. there's still that device intruding into the conversation. There's yeah. still a text message in one of those omnipresent conversations, right? Mm-hmm. There's still a notification. There's still something. And I think that's one of the big differences that I feel now as yeah. opposed to, say, 25 years ago. Because you used to just be able to be mm-hmm. with people. Mm-hmm. And it was rude to do things like pick up the phone and start talking to someone mm-hmm. right in front of them. But it's not rude for a lot of folks to be in conversation with you, not even say excuse me or anything, and just start texting on their phone yeah. while they're talking directly to you and, and doing multiple things. That's not that's more normal. Mm-hmm. It's not normal for us, though. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. I feel sometimes I feel like you and I are a little more old school than we actually are in some of the ways that we interact with technology and we use technology. Um, and for the most part, I'm actually really okay with that and happy about that because it feels like, and I can't say that this is always the case at all, but it feels like there's often more of a, an active decision to do something with either our phone or our computer or our iPad or whatever it might be. Um, And I just think about, you know, that like there's so many different things as you were talking. I was like, oh my gosh, this and this and this and this. And then I had this like second order thought of, did my brain always work like that? (laughs) Like, was it always just almost 
ADD, I would say, but not quite. Um, and how how has my own brain and the way that I work and the way that I live shifted? Um, and I'm someone, I would say, who's pretty self-aware when it comes to technology. Um, so, you know, I just think about, it makes me think about, and of course, this is a sociologist in me, like, what is it doing to our children? Um, what's it doing to our generation? Um, what's it doing to the generations that are are still yet to be born? Like, what is that going to look like? Um, and how does their communication change? How how alienated they feel from one another? I mean, that's another thing that this is where I got a little bit on my soapbox last week, I think, when we were talking about just how connected we all are today to so many more people in so many more um, ways and in different situations. I would say that, you know, my social media presence slash friends slash followers, whatever you want to call them, is a wider swath of people perhaps than it might have been 30 years ago. Um, and that in and of itself is a good thing, I believe. However, the, the weakness of those, many of those relationships is, is where I feel like something's missing for me. Um, and I think something's missing for a lot of people as well is, you know, it's, there's nothing in my mind. Um, and he, this is another conversation we've talked about AR before, right? Um, augmented reality. Yeah. Augmented reality. Sorry. And I get like, I like almost get hives when I start thinking about it, when Charlie starts talking about these, you know, possibilities, but there's just nothing quite like being in person, you know, face to face, eye to eye, and or touching someone that all of these technologies are never, it's never going to be able to replace that for me. Um, now, on the flip side of that, I will also say that I see how it has enabled some other people to step out of their shell. Right. And so some people feel or they they say they feel more comfortable behind a screen than they do face to face with people, which I get. Um, but again, I just I keep coming back to that. How alienated have we become from one another um, and how hard is it for us to really and truly on that heart and soul level actually talk and hear one another with the screen between us. Yeah. Well, there's no real evidence that the technological connections that we have, which, as you mentioned, are largely weak ties as opposed to strong ties, mm -hmm. um, with the chief difference being, um, you know, you're friends with someone on Goodreads mm -hmm. because you read the same sort of types of books. Well, I think we're using, I think it's well known that we're using friends in a different way in that context, right? Um, but we still haven't been able to 
really get past Dunbar's number, which is 150 folks. And so if you haven't done the research or if you haven't heard about this, basically the idea is that above 150 people, we can't have meaningful connections with people, mm-hmm. right? With the, that 151st person mm-hmm. um, it makes it more challenging to have connections with all the other 150 that preceded that person, yeah. right? And so, yes, we're much more weakly connected to folks, and I don't know that it has to be a trade-off, but it seems like the trade-off has been that we're less strongly connected with the people right in front of us. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, in the sense where, um, you know, the multiple layers of conversations that we have, the sort of social, emotional, spiritual, those types of conversations mm-hmm. are not being had because right at the time you sink into that pocket Mm-hmm. There's a new text message or there's a yeah. new phone call or there's a new email that comes in or there's something going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's really where it's like, I, I don't know that we've transcended Dunbar mm-hmm. yet. Um, and yet we keep adding more people on and more people on and more people on. And it kind of ties to another conversation that we've had. And I know this is going to sound bad, but it's like we are at the point in our life to where like we recognize that we, I feel, I won't speak for Angela, but I I feel like I'm under, um, I'm under connected to the, to the real friends I already have. Mm -hmm. I'm not super motivated to go out and get more friends and be under connected to them either. Yeah. Right. And so I'm actually wanting to spend time with people closer to me, mm-hmm. you know, the Noah's and the Corey's and the Jonathan's and, you know, mm-hmm. Susan's and, you know, the Angela's and those folks that are, and it's the same basic number. Here's the thing for me. And I know this is different for a lot of people. The number of my close soul, uh, soul friends mm-hmm. are about the same number as it's been in high school. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. They're different people, obviously, mm-hmm. but it's the same number Yeah. Um, of those people that I'm like, Oh, I want to hang out. Cause you know, then it was, Scott and some of my scout friends and things like that, but they were, you know, for me, mm-hmm. all of my friends have really only been on one hand above that. Um, and I, their associates and things like that. And they're, they're friends in sort of a, a loose social sense, but best friends, like soul friends, mm-hmm. always one hand. Um, and I'm not saying if you're out there listening that we never want to meet and talk to you and things like that, yeah. but yeah, of course, um, it's one of those things where like, I'm not feeling a dearth of, needing more friends. Now, to your point about people feeling more um, connected to certain people who are not in their community, I think that's largely an aspect of the, the fact that in your local community, I think you're we're much more bound by the social norms of that community. Mm-hmm. So if you're a weirdo or creative giant or creative person or entrepreneur or, you know, whatever that might be, you might not have a good fit in your current community, especially, you know, I had a great email exchange with someone who was from Alabama, who was a creative giant and sort of tapped, like trapped in Alabama, nothing against Alabamians. Right. But he was like, there's not a lot of people like me here. Mm -hmm. And the fact of the matter is there wasn't a lot of people like him where he was like, he wasn't in Portland, Oregon, where like, yeah. there's weird competitions like, everywhere you go. <laughs> so I think in that way, that's the benefit of these connecting tech, these communicative technologies is that you can find those mm-hmm. other pockets of weirdos and creative giants and multi-potentialites and whatever you like, you can find your people and you can create that tribe of folks. Yeah. Um, and that tribe of close soul friends and things like that, 
Mm-hmm. Probably going to be less than 150 people. Yeah. <laughs> and even those new virtual friends that you form. And I'm not going to make a big distinction between I've got my virtual friends and I've mm-hmm. got my real friends. I have friends that are I'm equally close and intimate with, regardless of whether they live in New York or mm-hmm. Botswana. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have people here in Portland that I'm, you know, that I meet and run into that I'm no less friendly to or no less in in sort of that relationship with than people that are online. So I'm, I don't find that distinction that useful. Mm-hmm. It's really how um, true to yourself are you in that relationship? Mm-hmm. How vulnerable can you be in that relationship? Um, when something happens, do you want to call and, and like celebrate with that person? Yeah. Right. Or when you're feeling down, do you, are they the type of person that lifts you up? Like those are the more important questions to me about whether they're, a, you know, quote unquote virtual friend or a in real life friend. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just turns out though that in real life, well, I would say that's not true. What I was going to say is it turns out in real life, you can create the emotional and, and I want to dare say spiritual container such that you can be um, vulnerable and intimate, not in a sexually intimate way, not that there's a problem with that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and close in that way that it's hard to do with your online friends. But I don't know that that's true because a lot of folks will, again, get together and then there's text messages back and forth and phone calls and they're in multiple conversations and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Third bit on something you said is about the multi-threading that I think is now more um, more common than it used to be. So I don't say multitasking mm-hmm. for different reasons. That's a whole nother podcasting. But multi-threading is basically having your brain work at two different levels on different things, much like a computer multi-threads. And so, Angela, actually, with you, I've noticed – like, you'll be watching a show on Netflix, but you'll be looking at something on your phone at the same time and searching and doing things like that. Uh, during the commercials. During the commercials. But I've also seen you during the show itself, mm-hmm. right? And I'm like, that's still super foreign to me. I can't do both, right? Yeah. I'm either watching the show or I'm doing something else, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and But I'm, I'm maybe more of a one-track mind that way. But I think things like that are much more common now than maybe they were then. Like, I don't remember my parents talking on the phone while watching TV. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Now I know damn well that where their cell phones, they would absolutely be driving and talking on the phone at the same time. (laughs) Right. I know Mm -hmm. that's true. Right. Um, But again, I just remember that, that time and maybe some of our listeners that, that had more adult time during those periods can, can write in and let me know about it. But it seemed like when you were on the phone, largely you were on the phone talking to whoever you were talking about. Mm-hmm. It didn't seem like you were on the phone while you were doing four other things, mm-hmm. um, like online, and then you know you got you got stuff going on in the background, and you're in a text conversation. That didn't seem to be the case. Um, and I think that's where we're experiencing the lack of connection, is because at a certain point it can feel like no one can slow down Mm -hmm. to just be with you in that time. Yeah. Um, And, you know, we can go different directions with this, but one of the things that I bought back in December on the technology thing is I actually got an Apple watch. Now you can probably tell from the conversation with me and Angela that I'm pretty intentional about where our phones, like where our phones come in. Like actually when we're at the dinner table, 
um, or we're out to eat and one of us needs to do something on the phone, it's not like we just whip it out and start, you know, doing the thing. It's like, hey, I need to do this before I forget about it. Like, excuse me while I do this, which is, is awkward for a lot of the people who are around us because it's like, why are you excusing yourself? Just do your thing. But it's important because it's taking a, a break from that conversation to do something else, right? Um, but I bought a, an Apple Watch um, because what I wanted to do was to be less, um, what's anchored would be the best way anchored to my phone mm-hmm. that I don't need that, that has all the things that I don't, the Apple watch turns out is there's a whole nother thing that I can talk about with the Apple watch. But one of the things that it does do, if you turn off the notifications and things like that is you have to like very intentionally text folks. Like it's not as easy as just what, like pulling out your phone, and texting real quick. You have to very intentionally call folks. Um, you can't get on social media. Well, you can. I just don't. Right. Um, so it creates this place to where it's. It reminds me closer to what it was back in the day, where it's like when it's time to make a phone call, it's time to make that phone call, when it's time to text a friend, it's time to text that friend, but not everything all at once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the things that one of the things that we've talked about is about just never never being off, right? Never being offline. And that has a tremendous impact on us um, and on who we are as people and as being able to really show up. Um Wherever it is we're showing up, whether we're showing up at, you know, our synagogue or our child's school or at work or at the dinner table, never having the technology off and away from you never allows you to be fully present in the moment, at least not for most people I've ever seen or from my own experiences. Um Because the way this technology works is, you know, I think you've talked about the dopamine drip, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's, you know, you want to know, did did somebody check out my Instagram post? Or I don't even know if I said that right. Um, Is it a post on Instagram or? Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, like, did somebody like my stuff on Facebook? Or did they retweet what I put on Twitter? Or like... What has the president done now? Like what, you know, whatever it is, like we're just, we're always on and it's exhausting, right? I don't even know that most of us realize how much of our attention and our energy is is being zapped from us all the time with technology. Um, and, you know, it makes me think about... Um, Convert, you know, another conversation we're having on kind of along the same lines is some of the work that we've done with our clients um, and how we've supported them and helped them to kind of put some stuff in place to be less on, to be less connected. Um, And just the tremendous things that have happened for them when they're not connected 24 7 to something that is capturing their attention, capturing their energy. I mean, I think of, you know, one client that I've had in the past and 
literally the very first thing she did before she even got out of bed in the morning was look at the news on her phone. Um, you know, we had conversations about, you know, if that was something she was going to be able to not do anymore because she knew how it was affecting her. Um, and she knew like what it did to her mornings. Like it just like they just went and like they went without her and she was just kind of along for the ride. Um, but it also makes me think too about, um, you know, you were sharing a story with me last week and I thought it was just absolutely phenomenal about what happened. I don't know if you, you feel open to sharing it, obviously no names and stuff like that, but yeah, she would probably be okay with it, but I didn't specifically ask her, but yeah, yeah. it's, it's you're talking about the turds for breakfast thing, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> so this is what you get when you, when you actually work with Charlie. <laughs> um, look, it, it's one of those things to where consuming media first thing in the morning is the equivalent of eating turds for breakfast. Because think about it. Um, all news right now is really set up to trigger you, to shock you, um, to pull you in and sort of have that, right? Uh, what what did such and such do today? Or did you see that? Fear. It's, it's all fear yeah. and anxiety and things like that. And that's the first thing that you eat in the morning, Right. And it would be like wondering why, like, you just feel like crap when you when you literally ate, you know, crap for breakfast. That's what's happening to us on an emotional sort of setting. And the thing about it is, is your phone is the trigger in the habit response loop or the, the trigger response loop, right? So, um, and when I teach workshops, I, I'll do this, but I'll do this here. Like, if you are around your phone which mm -hmm. you probably are because you're listening to this podcast, right? Mm. Thank you for that, by the way. <laughs> Once you close your eyes, unless you're driving, don't do that. It's not safe. But if you're not driving, touch your phone. Notice that your fingers are starting to do certain things. Notice that you're probably starting to think about other things, right? Probably, you know, all those types of things. That touching of the phone actually creates the chain of events that follows, right? Just like when you open the fridge, sometimes you can get hungry, mm -hmm. right? You're not actually hungry. It's that, that, that sort of Pavlovian sort of thing. And so what happens is because we, what wires together, excuse me, what fires together, wires together. This is from neuroscience and neuroplasticity. Mm -hmm. The more that you touch the phone and do the same mm -hmm. things, the more that you gear and prime your body to do that same thing. Well, that's what happens first thing in the morning, even though you know, that there's nothing in your news that's actually going to make you happy. It's yeah. generally going to be something terrible, mm -hmm. right? Because that's what gets reported on the news. Even though you know that doesn't serve you, you touch that phone, all of a sudden it starts firing off those loops. Mm -hmm. And your fingers will literally start going to the, walking through the motions. Mm -hmm. And you can't change that, right? Um, you can't like be like, oh, I'm only going to take, well, you can change it. And um, so where I work on it with my clients is we start removing all of the apps, start removing the news app, start removing the email app, start removing all of the social media apps, mm -hmm. um, depending upon how bad they are with their addictions. We'll actually remove Safari, which mm -hmm. you can do, right? Um, you can remove the phone. Like you could remove basically every element from the phone that, that over distracts you. But most people don't have a talking on the phone problem. Yeah. Um, most people have other types of problems. So you can eliminate all that. And 
the change that happens for many people is almost overnight, right? They wake up the next morning. You try to do all the dumb things you've normally done. that You just can't. Mm-hmm. And for the first time, many people, because I've done this with a handful, you know, I don't know, probably scores of clients now. But the first thing that you recognize is you don't know what to do with yourself. But think about that. That means you have resigned what you need to do with yourself to this input and response going on. Like that 15 minutes or however long in the morning, like now you get to feel that with something. Mm -hmm. You get to do something different Mm -hmm. and not be trapped into the world of what's going on, not be trapped into, you know, Trump's latest tweet. Or, you know, what Bernie Sanders got into today or whatever happened on that one. I know we talked about the political thing because it's been sort of in the United States. It's been that way since 2016. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be this way until 2020 at least. Yeah. Um, but it could be whatever. Like, do you really need to know first thing in the morning that your team won or lost? How is that actually going to make a bit of difference to your day? I mean, you might feel a little bit better in the meantime, but think about it. You look at the score, they won. Yay! You move on. You look at the score, they lost. Boo! And then you're kind of mad about it for however long, if it really mattered to you. Mm -hmm. Is that really the best thing for you first thing in the morning? Um, Is anything in the news matter? Does anything, any, I mean, text messages sometimes will matter depending upon how you are with your employer because they might be telling you different things, right? But there's so much of that that if you turn it off, you can finally start to hear your own voice. Mm-hmm. And you can finally um, start to clear yourself of the anxiety and the fear and the comparisitis and all those types of things that are actually drive all of those media channels or mm-hmm. all of those different things. There's a study, I have to go back and find it, that showed that the apps you, you use most frequently on your phones are the ones that are making you the least happy. Mm. And the ones that you use the least are oftentimes the ones that make you the happiest. So think about that. Like the, I mean, if that study is true, um, what does that mean for it? Now, what they noticed is that the apps that people use the most on their phones were social media apps. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's a question that I will often pose to my clients and I'll pose it here as well. How many times are you like really ecstatic and happy and feeling good about yourself and have an urge to go on Facebook yeah, or social media in general. Most people, like when you're feeling good, you don't want to. You want to go do something else. Mm-hmm. It's when we feel like, but, that then we go on there. <laughs> but unfortunately, let's think about this. Um, especially social media that's driven by our personal brands, as it were, where we're storytelling. Like people curate their experiences. Mm-hmm. Like, so you're either going to see one of two things from about 95% of people. You're going to see the curated picture that was one of 16 and the other 15 weren't great, right? Um, Or you're going to see them mad or frustrated or angry about something, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Those are about 95% of what you're going to see. Curated experiences that are not representative of their actual reality or... Them complaining, angry, frustrated about something. That's what you're going to go see when you're already feeling bad. Mm-hmm. How is that going to make you feel any better? Right? Because if you see the curated picture, all of a sudden, if you're already feeling bad about yourself, you're like, why can't I be the person that goes to Hawaii? 
Or why can't my kids be that pretty? <laughs> or why can't I look like that in a bathing suit? Or why can't I drive that car? Or why can't that be happening to me? That's not helpful. Mm-hmm. Right? And if they're frustrated and mad and upset about things, um, unfortunately, it's very rarely true that when you're frustrated, mad, upset about something, that when you're talking to somebody else who's frustrated, mad, and upset about something else, mm-hmm. that either one of you will feel better from talking to each other. Yeah. Right? So, probabilistically, if you just look at it that way, probabilistically, going to social media, especially Facebook. Now, I pick on Facebook a lot for different reasons, but mm-hmm. especially going to Facebook is going to make you feel worse about yourself. Why would we do that? Yeah. You know? I And that's... I know there are people who are like, I oh, know, but I love Facebook. I love ke- keeping up with my friends. Like, if it works for you, it works for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it doesn't work for you, like, be honest about that. Like, for our our habits right now, especially around Facebook, I've been on a Facebook mostly sabbatical mm-hmm. since November. Mm-hmm. I will go in. I'll go into the Creative Giant Campfire. By the way, you can find us on the Creative Giant Campfire on Facebook. I will answer readers and, you know, talk to folks there. Mm-hmm. Because we've sort of created this little pocket where people can share what they're up to. And like, it, it doesn't feel like the rest of Facebook for me. I'll go there, do what I need to do there. Then I'm gone. Yeah. Straight up gone. I wish that there was a way the pin at the top of your profile, like, please don't message me because I don't check messages. Yeah. Right. But I, I don't, I don't think there's a way to shut it off. Right. And so, um, and I will tell you for me, this might not be true for everyone else. My clarity is better. My courage is higher. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm getting more work done. And I don't miss it. Yeah. You know, like there's no aspect of it. I'd miss it or else I'd go back and do it. Um, many of our clients feel the same way mm-hmm. once they actually do it. Yeah. So... You know, I sort of opened this conversation up with, it's about creating a boundary for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and creating a boundary from boundary from digital technology in this way can be very powerful for you because um, it's hard to do work that matters. It's hard to show up and do your creative thing and create your art. It's hard to have those challenging conversations with teammates it's hard to, it can be challenging to summon the courage to say, I have something for the world. Mm-hmm. Here it is. And to go through that, that's a lot of hard work, right? It really does require you to be, not require, it's helpful if you're in an emotional state to where you're not responding to this or you're not picking up the anxiety and doubt and doom and gloom that you read from the turds that you ate for breakfast, right? Mm-hmm. So that's really where this starts to come in is that it actually creates this healthy space for you to do your best work and to be in the best relationships and to pay closer attention to those people who you do have those strong ties with mm-hmm. that you want to increase the you know strength of those ties as opposed to just get more approval in the form of likes and retweets from people you don't know or likely ever meet mm-hmm. um, while you're not, you know, in relationship with those who are right there in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, for myself, what's been helpful and what's been helpful for 
for other people that I've spoken with and for clients is making sure that you are consciously and intentionally making the decision. Um, So I know that a lot of what we're talking about can sound like we're super negative and down on technology and we hate it and social media is terrible, which that's not true at all. I love technology um, and it's done some amazing things for us. And, you know, one of the things that's incredibly important is really our... um, you know, I, in some some ways, I, I think of like self-efficacy and, you know, just our ability to make good decisions. Um, and for some of us, you know, those good decisions can't come until we shut it all down and we shut it all out for a while so that we can get our power back and we get our brains back, right? Um And so, you know, I I can just speak for myself that the times in my life, and I'm I'm at one of those points now, and I have been for like the last month or so. I mean, it's been going on longer, but really, specifically the last month, I, I have watched very little in the way of television, um, you know, shows and that kind of thing. Um, And if I do, um, Like, it's a very intentional choice, and it's because I'm wanting to take downtime specifically on the weekend during these two hours, right? That kind of thing. Um, And what it's done for me um, is I'm, I'm going to bed earlier. I feel better when I wake up in the morning. I'm eating better. Um, I'm exercising a lot more. I'm reading stuff that I enjoy that's really good for me and like just fills my heart and soul. Um, and that's the one, you know, one of the things I wasn't, I wasn't planning on going there, but I, I kind of feel like I should share it in some ways is one of the habits that I've struggled with um, for all of my adult life that I can think of. And I know where it started. It started in childhood is that I often associate food with passive taking in of media. So it is not, you know, it would not have been uncommon for me to sit down late at night and eat junk food or whatever because I had trained myself to do that while I was watching shows or while I was watching movies with my family or whatever it is. And while that's not necessarily a bad thing for some people, for me, it grew to be a really unhealthy habit because I was not making conscious decisions about what I was putting in my body. Um, And I just, I, I share that because I've had a lot of like shame and stories around that for a very long time. Um, and like, I don't by any means like have that habit kicked, which is why it's super helpful for me to just stay away from the, the passive media. Um, Cause then I don't get into these other issues and these other problems. So um, I know that's a bit tangential, um, but for me, it's it's just been incredibly helpful, and it's given me a lot of my power back. 
Yeah, well, I don't know that it's tangential. It, it goes back to where for you, the you know, we've been together for so long that Angela and I talk about this. Like, mm-hmm. it's almost predictable that 90 minutes after she starts watching TV, mm-hmm. like there's some type of treat being made cookies or she's like nibbling on something mm-hmm. um, less so now than it used to be, but it used to be like pretty much. It was like clockwork, like clockwork. Right. Um, and kind of how I went back earlier with the smartphone being the trigger, mm-hmm. right. It was the, con- it was the television. That yeah. was, like you start watching a show and you got hungry and it's, it's Pavlovian in that way. Yeah. Right? It's all of a sudden you're fine. Then you start watching TV and now you're fighting with the urge to make some cookies. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you could go through and try to break that habit chain or break that sort of stimulus response chain. Mm-hmm. Or you can choose not to do the stimulus. Yeah. Right. Which is sometimes a lot easier, mm-hmm. right, to do. Like if to retrain yourself. I mean, when I mentioned the smartphone and we actually rechanging, we changed the response. But we only changed the response because we eliminated it as an option. Mm-hmm. You couldn't go to Twitter on your phone. Mm-hmm. So you had to figure out what to do with it. And all of a sudden you started breaking that loop. And it's disorienting. That's the thing that yeah. I forgot to mention. It is so disorienting because it's like, but what? Like, it's just like, you know, um, putting your pants on, putting your pants on over your top like it was a shirt. Like you just do it and you're like, this doesn't work, right? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it doesn't work in that same sort of way. But yeah, and so, you know, as we're looking at, there's sort of two things, different things we talked about, right? So boundaries is definitely there. But when you're looking at making changes in your life, mm-hmm. right, especially ones that are not serving you well and creating those boundaries, sometimes you can't just focus on the not eating treats in this example, mm-hmm. right? You have yeah. to say, what causes me? What yeah. are the patterns that create that as a response? Mm-hmm. And you eliminate that. Um, and then you have all these sort of side benefits, like Angel mentioned, like she's been going to work her going to work out like between eight and nine every day. Mm-hmm. Is that about right? Most yeah. days. Yeah. Um, and it's mostly coming from the fact that she's not staying up later watching TV. Mm-hmm. And so it reminds me of a Henry Ford quote. I'm going to mess this one up um, because I didn't look at it, but it's like um, successful people get ahead in the time that other people waste. Mm. Right now. Um, it also reminds me of Bertrand Russell's time that you enjoy wasting is not wasted time. Mm-hmm. And so both are true at the same time, right? Is that if you have that thing. And so I really want to say for those folks who love the hell out of social media, love the hell out of texting, love the hell out of all of that. And it really serves you more power to you. Keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, do a full audit um, in, in the book, Deep Work, Cal Newport talks about the any benefit um, sort of thing where we assume because the technology has some benefit, any benefit, that it's worth using in, the, in a way. And that's actually a really bad fallacy. Like, mm-hmm. Because a knife has some benefit doesn't mean we walk around with a knife on us at all times, mm-hmm. open and ready to use, right? So he goes into it better than that, but it's something to think about. But if you're sort of stuck, and a lot, a lot of folks are, because I talked to them, and they're stuck, was like, I don't, I can't not use Facebook because I keep up with my friends there. Mm-hmm. Um, kids' photos and things like that. I just want you to think about, does the benefit, does that particular benefit outweigh all the other cost of, do, of using that technology? If it doesn't, make different choices. Yeah. Um, and so we're not saying get rid of everything, you know, end up in a monastery and things like that. But rather, like if in the example that I just gave before, rather than um, 
just completely ditching keeping up with your friends, maybe you figure out a time to either call or text your friend mm-hmm. like, and say, hey, how, what's going on? How are you doing today? Mm-hmm. And you have that tighter, that stronger connection than just liking her photo on Facebook. Yeah. Right? Um, so that's an alternative. And, and, you know, rather than being in a week-long text conversation with a friend, maybe go out to dinner with him mm-hmm. instead. And do all that really important catch up there. So it's just trading off one thing that may not be serving you mm-hmm. for another thing that serves you better. Yeah, for sure. I love that. I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up there. I mean, obviously, we can continue to talk about this for a long time. But the invitation or challenge for this week is to really take stock of the ways in which you're using technology to be in connection with other people. Mm-hmm. And to experiment, note experiment, you don't have to make this long-term choice of what it might be like to remove some of those from your daily flow. Um, If you wake up first thing in the morning and start checking out news, try not doing that for a week. The world will exist without you, trust me, Mm. right? But what will your existence be like without it? Until next time, stand tall. Thanks for listening to Productive Flourishing. To get more resources that'll help you finish the work that matters and be your best self in the world, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. If this episode warmed your heart or got your wheels turning, we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a review for the podcast on iTunes. 